in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. With you, as always, is me, your co-host, Andy Hart. And with me and you, as always, is your co-host, Art Stone. Oh, sorry, I've got Art in the washing machine. You can tell Art's been going around in circles. Oh, man. Hey, what's up, bug buggers? Uh, hey, what's up, Andy? Hey, Art. Uh, you're looking pretty clean now after oh, your trip I'm through the washer. clean. Um, you know, you're so... Yeah, you're so clean. You're so fresh. You're so squeaky. Shing! Um, you've got that sparkle. You've got that shine. You know what? Uh, a washing machine is just such an efficient piece of equipment, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's very efficient. <laughs> Very efficient piece of equipment. You know who loves efficiency? What? Germans. They do love efficiency. Oh, my God. Have you ever had sex with a German person? They'll get you in and out in 30 seconds flat. Aren't you? You're predominantly German. Yeah, mostly German. And you're saying 30 seconds or less? Yeah. I don't have pubic hair. I have sauerkraut. So if you're like me. <laughs> okay. All right. I don't have. Seems like kind of a flex. I don't have. I don't have pubic hair and a penis. I have sauerkraut and a bratwurst. Uh, so if you're like me, you have German food for genitals. German food for genitals. You're gonna love today's topic. One eight seven seven German food for genitals. G R M A N F O R. G-E-N-T-I-A-L-S. Wait. Ah, I spelled it wrong. Donate your genitals today. <laughs> so the the reason that I bring up German efficiency and my German own genitalia genitals, yeah. is uh, because today's topic is is uh, a true crime is it? story oh from Germany. Oh, wow. And Art, hey. uh, gird your uh, lederhosen in here because- okay. This also came to us from a blimper. Get out of town. I Get won't. out of here. I know. Quit saying that to me. I won't. <laughs> I squat here now. So the uh, this came to us from Timid. Our, Timid. Our beloved blimper, proud patron of this podcast, Timid. Thank you, Timid. This is a fantastic suggestion sent over the Discord channel. Yeah, the, dis- the Discord. Sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was from the Discord. If not, oh, well. Uh, well, we don't know, always know their method of communication, yeah. but we got the message. And it's coming in loud and clear. Yeah. So today we are talking about 
Hinterkaifeck. Hinterkaifeck. Um, a I know true, nothing about this. True crime mystery. I'm not going to give too much away. Oh my goodness! But uh, I think I think this is an exciting one. I think you're going to like this art. I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to find it creepy. I love hearing about people being murdered. I know you do, and so this is going to really tickle your fancy. <laughs> it's going to sour your broughten, and mm, it's going to schnitzel. Yeah, it's going to my spatza. Yeah, it's going to schnitzel your spatzla. Wow. So, if you are like me and Art, and you can't wait to dig into all this delicious German potato salad of unsolved What's that mysteries. thing that German grandmas make? Romulans? Yeah. Ra- Romulan. What? It's thin strips of beef with pickles and mustard. Rouladen? Rouladen. Romulans? Yeah, Romulans. Star Trek villains? Uh, yeah, and I have a Polish grandmother, and she makes Vulcans. The Borg? Yeah. <laughs> My Polish grandmother, the Borg? Borg, yeah. <laughs> Rabulin, what's it? Ruladen. Ruladen. Because it's rolled. Ruladen. So if you're ready to get Ruladen slathered in mustard and Ruladened up with your pickle into today's episode, you can check the timestamp, which is marginally accurate. (laughs) And that'll take you somewhere close to where the action It'll get you where you need to go. But since the ads are there and you won't know, you might as well just hang around and hear how we got abducted this week. Let's hear about it. What a... I mean, we what went on a ride. fucking week. Our ride is not kidding. Mm-hmm. Started baby. started up here. Started opposite. We're, we're anti-Drake. We started <laughs> up here and now we're at the bottom. Right. And we only like grandmas. So we st- we started from the top. Right, now we're here. Right, right, exactly. We're very anti Drake in that in that regard. Right, and we, we have no we, creepy texts to underage girls. No, only to grandmas. Yeah, we will creep consenting on consenting grandmas. Consenting creepy, we'll creep on your grandma. Yeah, as long as she's okay with it. Grandma's away from us. We had such a fun. I was so excited. We got a message, Bung Funkers. Some of you may have seen this gentleman out there on the TikToks and the YouTube. On the what have you on social media, Amuri Guichon is a world famous chocolatier. Amuri Guichon. He might be Swiss. He might be French. I don't know. I don't care. Belgian. Who knows? But this is a real celebrity in the world of chocolatiering. Oh my god! For his chocolate sculptures. Oh, these incredible chocolate sculptures. Incredible. Um, you know, this is way beyond just covering a balloon in chocolate and popping right. the balloon. And then using the half of the balloon as a bowl. He's Swiss French. Swiss French. <laughs> he's literally my age. That's insane. Yeah, look wow. how much more successful he's. No, we're about, about the same as far as career success. I mean, you know, he's a world famous chocolatier, and I have a podcast. Like, well, I feel bad uh, because I'm only, you know only forty years older than him. <laughs> Amuri Gouchon. Gouchon. Uh world famous chocolatier. Incredible life, like chocolate chasseurs. And chocolate treats. Yeah. I mean, this guy is a genius of the illusion of chocolate. You know, you see these people making like, is it a cake or not? That's very popular. This guy can do the same thing, but with chocolate. Yeah. Chocolat. Some of the creations are pretty incredible. Oh. And turns out, huge fan of the podcast. Yeah, we're having a little bit of a uh, reverse. We're having a little bit of a reverse like fanboy moment here. right? I know. Normally, we're the ones going gaga for celebs. We're going gaga, goo goo gaga. Art and I, our nicknames, each we have this nickname given independently to us, is our TMZ because we so love celebrity goss. We're always sipping the hot tea from the celebs. 
Um, we watched Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Oh my god, I need to know. I need to know all the, the Housewives shows. All the Housewives, every single one. I'm keeping up on it. Yeah, and so we're normally. I want to know who Pete Davidson is dating this week. Yeah, people call me TMZ. People call Art TMZ, and yeah. that happened independently because we love celebrity gossip. But here's a celebrity. Instead of us reaching out awkwardly to celebrities, here was a celebrity reaching out to us. Yeah. He says, I'm a huge fan of the show. I love your guys' show. I'm a huge fan of Mr. Bucker's Conspiracy Night Podcast. We said, wow, I'm a big fan of chocolate. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, you're a chocolate guy. You're a chocolate guy. Give me chocolate. <laughs> and I started being really aggressive about it. You were very aggressive. But, I mean, it, it, was, it, did, it was a little much. We had to have a little talk. Right, right. And I look, I learned my lesson initially that just because somebody works with chocolate, it doesn't mean they always have chocolate on their person. And you wanted, it's not okay to reach into their pockets and yeah. try and find pieces of you chocolate. You really became almost like one of those drug-sniffing dogs. Uh, yeah, I've been compared to a truffle-sniffing pig before. <laughs> That's true. But this guy was such a huge fan of the podcast, he said he wanted to make sculptures... Yeah. Of us. Out of life, chocolate. Life-size sculptures of us out of chocolate. That's right. Um, and of course, we said, yes, that sounds amazing. Because yeah. I already almost am always carrying a mirror, looking at myself in the mirror. Right. And if I was made of chocolate, right, it's sort of a dream come true of mine. What else? I mean, there's no better sort of experience for us in our lives than to be made out of food in some capacity. Yeah. I always thought that what I would end up being was, you know, some sort of a pasta man. You know, like, yeah, like the big old noodle, like the <laughs> big old noodle. I always felt like a single noodle or made of multiple nudes. Yeah. Like, like that, you know, the noodles would be, would form. And we're the, talking semolina flour. Like the noodles. Yeah. They would form like the, the sinew in my body. Wow. And then the red sauce would be my blood. Oh, so your sauce as well. So you're a full dish. Right. And I would have meatballs for eyes and a hard-boiled egg white for my teeth. And I would have like olives all over to represent the various, you know, pimples and boils on my body. <laughs> oh, my God. That's fucking Pimento stupid. stuffed olives. Sure. But I think that dream will have to wait because a mode of guichon. Just wanted to make us out of chocolate. Just out of chocolate. But this is still very flattering to me. Very flattering. And a dream come true. So, of course, we said, yeah, please make us out of chocolate. So he shows up and we meet him at one of his um, one of his little factories or places or whatever. Studio. Studio. Sure. Kitchen studio. And we think it's just going to be me and him, like us and him. It's going to be like this really cool one-on-one -on -one time. Like, what? We'll talk about the show. He'll ask us questions. He'll get to measure us. He'll be like, where's Barn Owl? Where's Barn Owl? Bring Barn Owl back. Where's Barn Owl? And we'll be like, ah, you know, we'll, we're figuring that out. Yeah, well, you don't know where Barn Owl is right yeah, now. I got to go, you know, like, you know, can't remember how his voice sounded. Anyway, so it's like, you know. Uh, but we thought we were going to have this great time. Yeah. We thought we were going to get measured repeatedly by right. him for the chocolate molds. He would need to, you know, have his hands all over us and be using a tape measure. Mm -hmm. um, but he had a, he brought an assistant with him. Yeah, this guy was weird. Kind of a weird. Didn't didn't care for this guy. Didn't care for this guy. He was he was obviously wearing an apron. Yeah, he's kind of in the culinary, but it seemed as though he was wearing nothing under the apron. Um. Yeah. And he was like really buff. Mm -hmm. Um. He was. He had. He was smoking. He was smoking. 
<laughs> you know, in the front pockets of his apron, there were cheeseburgers. Yeah. Just in there. And it just, the whole apron, it just, it said, kiss the cook. Yeah. With an arrow pointing down. <laughs> so, and then, then another part of the apron, it had another thing that said, the legend. And then it was pointing up. Yeah. And then it said, the myth. It was pointing down. <laughs> and then another part of the apron, it said, I was stupid. And it was pointing in all possible directions. <laughs> this is a really fucking cool apron, dude. The really cool apron. But his name was Mr. Ganasher. Yeah. Mr. Ganasher. This weird is a strange man. Weird assistant. He uh I don't know. He was he was sort of gruff. He's very gruff. Calloused. Oh, thick so hands. Thick hands. He was kind of rough with us. Yeah. To and be honest. He was helping Gouchon. Chocolate us out, and, and you know, here's the thing: it's like we watched him. His cra- he's incredible. His craft, he knows what he's, he's doing. He's quite a craftsman. Like you can't fault him for that. And he made these amazing, amazing life-size, lifelike statues out of chocolat of me and you. Yeah, these were these were, you know, don't get confused here, beavers. This is not a chocolate bunny type of situation <laughs> where it's us in miniature. Oh. It's us to our exact proportions, and not life. hollow either. No, full, fully chocolated. Straight through. Anatomically correct. Anatomically correct. Uh, despite my protestations that right. they enhance my anatomy. <laughs> it was not heated by Mr. Ganasher. Yeah. That was that was a funny part where he did have to give the uh the the life size chocolate statue the correct anatomical circumcisions that you've had right multiple multiple because you had one and then you growing back well it kept growing back and then you kind of you were like. Yeah, I kind of miss it. So you had it grafted back on. Right. And you're like, well, I don't want this anymore. Yeah, I got a donor foreskin. But then it got started getting in the way. I kind of got used to not having a foreskin. Yeah. But then they took too much. So Gouchon had to do that back and forth. And you were like, well, you can make it a little bit bigger. And he was like, no, no, no. It has to be exact. Yeah. Wee wee. He was, he was very... Very much adamant that my wee wee be the exact yeah. right. And size. Mr. Ganasher was—I mean, he wasn't having any of it. He was like, "Don't," he was like, "Don't tell them anything to do." <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he ended every sentence with "to do." <laughs> don't tell Guishon what to do. Wee wee. To do. To do. Desu. He's like—he was kind of like weird. Like he was like, "Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I am a Discord mod." Wee wee, little kitten. Keep calling us little kitten. Guys are fucking weirdo. Just a real bizarre, real crazy human being. But these these sculptures were beautiful. And the thing is, is they unveiled the sculptures to us. It was amazing. We were oh, we were like wow. We're like oh, this is amazing. Look at these statues, so lifelike. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And then Mr. Ganasher said, "Wait, something's off." And he took he took out from he took a little pouch from out of his his aprons. And he sprinkled something. I don't know what it looked like. Maybe like salt, like heavy, coarse, thick salt. But it, oh, I don't know what it was. Salty sweet. Yeah, salty sweet. He sprinkled it. And then we thought it was done. And then all of a sudden. They started to move. They these, started to move. These sculptures moved on their own. They came to life. So we're thinking. This is some sort of mechanical trick, right? This is incredible. They've built some sort of chocolate machinery in there. Yeah. But it turns out 
know the the stuff that Mr. Ganasher pulled out of his pocket was angel dust. <laughs> the <laughs> dust of an actual angel imbued with the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> and it brought it brought them to life. It brought these chocolate sculptures to life and gave them souls. They had souls. They were sentient. It was incredible. We were sitting there having these intense, amazing conversations with these chocolate creatures, clones of us. Yeah. It was incredible. And it was incredible. And my mouth started to water. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> this clone, this chocolate clone, smelled so good and it looked so delicious. And it, I mean, it was very high-quality chocolate. So I start sucking on his fingers. They're so good. And he starts slapping me away. He's like, don't. I know my chocolate, my chocolate clone was like, do you fucking see what's going on? I'm like, I know. I mean, just listen. I, he's like, I think something bad. I think mean, he's like, I think I'm like, listen, just don't pay attention. I, you know, I, I pretended to drop my wallet on the ground and I start licking his feet. Hoping he won't notice. But somehow he's got all these nerve endings. He can feel it. You can tell when I'm licking him. It's fucked up in hindsight what you did, Andy. I don't regret anything. I did eat my chocolate clone. I ate the entire chocolate clone. I was sitting there playing ping pong with mine. All 360 pounds of him. I ate my chocolate clone. You murdered him! I ate him! He's food! He's made of chocolate! He had a soul. Me and my clone were sitting there playing ping pong, having a great time, and we hear this crunching sound and these screams of agony. And we're like, and my clone's like, should we go? And I was like, well, hang on, it's match point. And so I kept playing. And then in hindsight, I realized I should have just listened to my clone and, like, you know, fucking like, we, we come and we see you covered. You look like Augustus Gloop, but worse. Yeah. Covered chocolate all over you. This shattered shell of, of what was once a living being made of chocolat all over the floor. Guishan was, and Mr. Ganasher were both horrified. Yeah. I mean, I get it that they spent a lot of time on that, but what is the point of chocolate if not to eat it? That they, is the point of chocolate. They immediately placed you under chef's arrest. <laughs> it's a little known... A little known thing that you can do in France and Switzerland is yeah. you can be placed under chef's arrest where chef's a chef arrest. can arrest you a for arrest culinary you. crimes. A culinary crime. But it turned out that because this angel dust that got sprinkled all over these chocolate creations, yeah. this actually turned into a felony, like a criminal offense. I got charged with murder. You got tacked on, dude. Because this was a real person. And somehow I testified Mr. against you in court. I did it. Somehow Mr. Ganasher had made like chocolate birth certificates and <laughs> all these identifying chocolate documents. Yeah. For our clones, social security numbers, and so this was a dual citizenship. This was a real living person. Yeah, they were dual citizens. Switzerland and the U.S. So France is looking to tack on a fucking murder charge again. Yeah, I got extradited to France. (laughs) The trial was very quick. I testified. My chocolate clone both testified. Yeah, we testified together. My chocolate clone was still alive in my belly at this time, like Fry from Futurama when he drinks the Water King. And so they they hooked a microphone up to my tummy and. Between the sounds of... You always, in some ways, precedent for U.S. and French law because you, in some ways, testified against yourself. Well, you almost perjured yourself. Yeah, I, well, yeah. I almost perjured my chocolate clone all over the courtroom, you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, I was found guilty. <laughs> 
And I did get sentenced to prison time. Oh, fuck. I just spilled it myself. Um, I was you sentenced did. to one week in prison. You were sentenced to a week in prison. Um, You know, the judge was lenient. This was your first criminal charge. My first murder. Well, your first murder. Baby's first murder. <laughs> so they take it easy on you. You know, they're like... Yeah. But also there were, you know, some mitigating factors to my behavior. My, the person I murdered was made of food. Right. I do have a documented history of eating things that I shouldn't. A lot of the, the, the thing is your defense did a really good job of stacking the jury with other competitive eaters. Right. They got, so they were in your favor. They got Kobayashi. They got Joey Chestnut. They got that lady that ate that pasta. (laughs) They got that little those dudes on YouTube, like yeah. Mr. Whatever LA. Like, of Nico Okado or whatever. Yeah, that guy. All the mukbang people were the on mukbang there. Mukbang people. So the jury was kind of stacked in my favor. They were stacked in your favor. And they were very sympathetic that uh I have It's kind of fucked up. That I eat things that I shouldn't. Right. Even though when I know it's bad. So I only got a week in prison. So Yeah. Yeah, I go I go to prison. Yeah, you go to Penn you go to the Penn State. <laughs> Penn State, Penitentiary State. Penitentiary State University. Prison there in France. A prison Um, prison in France. Yeah, and so Art came and visited me. I did. I'm a good friend. Art's a good friend. And I was really glad to see Art. Yeah, it was nice. You don't look good in jumpsuits. They're not your thing. No. Orange is not your color. No. I don't look good. Any color is not my color in a jumpsuit, to be (laughs) honest with you. It just doesn't suit my body. I need some separation between the top and the bottom. Yeah. Um. But Art came and visited me, and it was really nice. It was really nice of me. I did smuggle cigarettes in my asshole because you asked me to. And I said, I you didn't don't want- even smoke. Yeah. I didn't want them. Well, I thought you'd mean I just figured you would want some. I thought maybe somebody else would. So Art was walking around the, you know, we were at, it was one of these classic scenes where there's this classic bulletproof scenes. glass. There's two phones yeah. that only connect to each other. So Art's walking around the classic French style prison, the free persons area, yeah. offering people to reach into his asshole and pull out a cigarette. You need a smoke? You want a bum of smoke? I was like, Burr. you want a bum of smoke? You want a bum of smoke? It was very thoughtful. So many French people took him up on this offer because the French love to smoke. They're stereotypically big, big time cigarette smokers there in France, and this prison didn't disappoint. And so Art and I are having this conversation about. What do we do creatively? We're partners. Now I'm going to be in prison for a whole week. Right. We can't. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? A whole this, week? This effectively ends our relationship. Yeah. Um, also, you're a murderer. Yeah, yeah. And I did express the desire, both in court and to you personally, that I did want to kill again, and I did want to eat your chocolate clone. So there was a restraining order component as well, yeah. Right. Not allowed to be within 500 yards of your chocolate clone. But then, as we're sitting there chatting with each other on the phone, uh, you know, we start to notice the room shifting a little bit. Yeah, things are changing mm-hmm. in the room. It's sort of, uh, it's almost like a set piece, like in a stage performance. Right. Like we're moving to a different scene mm-hmm. uh, because the parts of the prison are being taken away. Right. Um, and it, you know, as as the prison's slowly moving around us and fading out, the table, the thing separating the two of us, jumps up. Right. And 
It turns out that it's Mr. Bunker. Yeah. He was this table in the prison. And he chokes us both out with the phone cords. And then we woke up here in the bunker. So I guess you got time served. Good behavior. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong. When you're doing hard time right now. Yeah. So I think, I mean, internationally, I don't know if I'm still a wanted criminal. Right. You might be on the Interpol sentence, but I mean, Hey, I was already not allowed to go to Europe. So I guess whatever. Oh, you're such a bad boy now. Whatever. I don't have to go to Europe. Whatever. I don't need Europe. (laughs) Whatever. Europe needs me. So I guess apologies to Amari Gishon and Mr. Ganasher. Yeah. We're sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that I brought this on you. Yeah. Amari, I hope that you uh, continue to watch, listen to the pod and continue to be a big supporter. Right. We know what a big fan you are. If you could join the Patreon at the Amari Gishon level, $10,000. 10,000 chocolate coins a month. It would be really, really appreciated. It'd be fucking sick, dude. But that's how we got captured. That's it, Andy. And that's, uh, that's how we ended up here in the yeah. bunker this week, beefers. But hey, don't let my troubles get you down because there's still reasons to celebrate. Like, how about a new patron for this podcast? Wow. That's right. It's time. To thank a new patron, a beloved blimper, a new, right. newly minted proud patron. Newly minted. Give a big shout. Just scream as loud as you can right now for Funk on him also. Funk on him also. Funk on him also. Uh, funk. Funk. Funk, funk, funk. Funk, funker, funker. Funk, funker, funk. Thanks for joining the patron. Thank you. Patreon, we really appreciate your support. Yeah. Um, We're going to ring the Funk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000 for you, but. Um, before we do that, I got to turn it on. Okay. Here we go. Let's see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, it's like a storm. It's like stormy in there. That's pretty windy. <laughs> It's got a big fan. Big ass fucking fan. Jesus Christ. Oh, there it goes. It's going. Wow. Um, Okay. Let's find a good alarm for you, Funk. Uh, I'm going to use the keyboard. It's a synthesizer keyboard. (laughs) Not a a computer keyboard. Classic synth sounds. (laughs) Oh, oh, look at this. Wow, look at that. Um, You're okay. like a little organ uh, organist yeah. at the uh, baseball game. Yeah. This, yeah. That the was synth. Baby elephant walk. Uh, here we go. This looks really good. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and select it. In order to do that, you have to like punch your fist through a paper circle. Ah! Okay. Sure. Let's hear that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> wow. So authentic. Yeah. So now it's time to play the bunker. So, uh, Funk, we're going to do a classic countdown. Classic. Everybody, everybody loves Casey Kasem's number one countdown. Three, two, one. So that's what we're going to do. Um, this one goes out to Funk on Amaso. Funk on Amaso. Long distance dedication from Andy and Art. Here we go in three, two, number one.
Wow, that was a good one. It like a car alarm. That was, yeah, that was like a car alarm. Uh, well, I did say car alarm on the screen. Um, wow. So there was a car alarm. Uh, Funk Anamaso. Funk Anamaso, thanks for your support. I hope you enjoyed your bunker alarm. That Thank you. That perfectly corresponds to your personality. Um, that's the magic of the Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm. That's it. It's perfectly synced up and matches your personality. Um, if you're like Funk and you said, hey, that bunker alarm was freaking rad as hell. I want a bunker alarm for myself. All you got to do, uh, Beavers, is go to patreon.com forward slash Mr. BunkerPod. And for only $5 a month, you can get your very own bunker alarm. But there's more. You also get access to hundreds and hundreds of hours of behind the scenes, Patreon only, exclusive content. You better fucking believe it. You get access to the Discord, the Bunker Discord. Great place to hang out. Yeah. Meet the other Beavers. Uh, you get access to me and Art's personal cell phone numbers and our home addresses. <laughs> You get you get access to um, mm. our family trees. Yeah, <laughs> ancestry.com. Yeah. You get access to our blood types, and yeah. you become our medical power of attorney. So wow. uh, it's a big responsibility to big be a patron of this show. Big responsibility. Um, but I think you can handle it. <laughs> so if you're interested in that stuff, yeah. go to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. Do it now. Do it now. Thank you, Funk Onomaso, one more time. Thank you, Funk. Support. I'm going to turn off the Funk Tank Bunker Alarm yeah, 3000 it's now. It's really, it's blowing smoke my way. Yeah, it's got a lot of smoke coming out of it. I smell like a <laughs> There's no off switch. You just yeah, unplug it. Such a tender, such a tender unplug. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Beefers, that's our, uh, that's our, that's our bunker alarm for this week. That's it, baby. Um, but, uh, hey, we still got more fun to come here. Because we still got to get into the Hinterkaifeck murders. That's right. Um, Art, are you ready to go to Germany? I I didn't pack a toothbrush, <laughs> and I didn't. I only have one pair of pants, but I guess I'll try my best. All I'm, right. So does let's... Germany have toothbrushes and pants? <laughs> no, they don't. Oh my god! They have pine trees and lederhosen, <laughs> and no underwear inside. So let's do it. Let's go. Let's get into the Hinterkaifeck murders here. On Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Strudel! Our story today takes us to picturesque Bavaria in the southeast of Germany, specifically to a farm called Hinterkaifeck, which was built sometime around 1863 and located near the woods outside the town of Gröbern, which is now Weidhofen, Bavaria. On the Hinterkaifeck farmstead lived the Gruber family. Andreas Gruber, age 63, the patriarch of the clan. Tatsilia Gruber, aged 72, Andreas's wife. Victoria Gabriel, age 35, Andreas and Cecilia's widowed daughter. Cecilia Gabriel, aged 7, Victoria's daughter. And Josef Gabriel, aged 2, Victoria's son. The family also had a maid who lived with them. And on the afternoon of March 31st, 1922, a Friday, 
The Grubers were welcoming a new maid to Hinterkaifeck. The maid, Maria Baumgartner, age 44, was escorted to Hinterkaifeck by her sister, who left after a short visit. After welcoming Maria to the farm and settling in, everyone at Hinterkaifeck turned in for the night. The next morning, April 1st, a Saturday, coffee sellers Hans Shirovsky and Edward Shirovsky stopped by Hinterkaifeck to take an order. But no one answered when they knocked on the door and the window. The Shirovskys walked around the yard but didn't see anybody. They did notice that the gate to the farm's machine house was open, but finding nobody around, they hit the road. The best part of waking up is Shirovsky in your cup. The mail carrier also came by on the first, and like the coffee sellers, found no sign of any Grubers at Hinterkaifeck. On April 1st as well, uh, little Cecilia Gabriel uh, missed school. I mean, I'd freaking skip school on Saturday too. Total Chad move there. Good job, Cecilia. On the afternoon of the first, two local hunters passed through Hinterkaifeck, but like everyone else, found no sign of the Gruber family around. On Sunday, April 2nd, two of Victoria's friends stopped by in the morning uh, to the house to walk to church together. They found no sign of Victoria or her family. In fact, the entire Gruber family skipped church on April 2nd. Now, also on the 2nd, an artisan by the name of Michael Plokel was passing through and noticed somebody heating up the oven at Hinterkaifeck, though Michael didn't know who the person was. For some context here, the oven on the farm was not inside the house, but a separate building on the property. He also noticed the smoke coming out of the oven smelled friggin' gross. The mystery person heating the oven approached Michael Plokel and shined a lantern right in his eyes blinding him. So, sensing a tense situation, Michael Plockel went on his way, without asking any further questions. On Monday, April the 3rd, the mail carrier again arrived at Hinterkaifeck and found the door locked and no sign of anybody around. The mailman thought this was strange as he typically stopped to chat with Mrs. Gruber and say hello to little Yosef. The mailman also noticed the letters he delivered on the 1st had not been collected. On April 4th, Tuesday, a repairman named Albert Hoffner showed up at Hinterkaifeck to fix the food chopper engine, which, if I'm understanding things correctly, was used to feed the animals in the barn. Hoffner didn't find anybody around when he got to Hinterkaifeck, so he hung around for an hour. Then he decided to get started on his job. Four and a half hours later, he finished and left. He never saw the family and only heard the farm animals and the family dog while he was there. In the days since Maria Baumgartner had arrived at Hinterkaifeck, the Gruber's neighbors saw smoke coming from the home's chimney, indicating someone was using the house's fireplace. In addition, the livestock and the Gruber family dog were fed, and someone even went to the trouble of milking the cows. The family was known for keeping to themselves, so this didn't seem too strange at first, but eventually, neighbors were disconcerted about the number of visitors who failed to find any of the Grubers at Hinterkaifeck over the course of those few days. So later on April 4th, Neighbor Lawrence Schlittenbauer sent his son Johann, 16, and his stepson Josef, age 9, to Hinterkaifeck to try to find the Grubers. They came back and said they hadn't seen anyone, so Lawrence got a couple of other neighbors, Michael Pohl and Jacob Sigel, and went to Hinterkaifeck. The men entered the barn, where they found something shocking. The battered bodies of Andreas Gruber, Cecilia Gruber, Victoria Gabriel, and Cecilia Gabriel 
stacked on top of each other, covered in hay. Entering the farmhouse, the men found the bodies of Joseph Gabriel and Maria Baumgartner. Wow. Wow, Blimpers. What a chilling start to this topic, huh? Jeez. Wow. That was captivating. Really setting the mood with this one, huh? But yeah. hey, let's contextualize this setting a bit, shall we? Yeah. Uh, let's let's welcome back the history hog for a minute here. Oh oink, oink. Oh, my God. Wee! Wee! <laughs> uh, so, the Hinderkaifeck murders happened way back in 1922. Back before the worst air travel tragedy I can think of. The Hindenburg disaster. Right. So funny that we're recording this on 9-11. <laughs> and I'm saying that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yes, I'm saying this was back in the golden age of dirigibles when Zeppelins ruled the air. Ugh. Back in that golden time after the First World War, but before the second one. Yeah. And before the stock market crash of 1929. Oh, wow. Ooh, baby, in that idyllic time, things were never better. But they sucked ass in Germany, that's for sure. Yeah, things were horrible there. 15 million Germans died in World War One, and Germany was crushed under the onerous stipulations of the Treaty of Versailles, the treaty that ended World War One. That's right. Including financial restitution owed to the war victors of 132 billion gold marks, an amount equal to roughly 269 billion U.S. dollars today. Nice. The post-war German government, the Weimar Republic, fired up the money printing presses, and the country was gripped by hyperinflation. By November 1923, 42 billion German marks were worth the equivalent of one American cent. Jesus Christ. Yes. How much? Uh, 42 billion German marks equivalent to one cent in America. That's insane, dude. Yes, sirree. Germany was friggin' ass-tastic in the early 1920s, Holy and the German shit. people felt like scheisse. That means shit in German. Watch your mouth. Especially this Bavarian farm family we just talked about. Because they got it's murdered. Like, sound like you were about to say this Bavarian farm fuck. Bavarian <laughs> farm fuck. Well, we'll see. We kind of, you could probably say that. So, uh, And it's been unsolved. This crime has been unsolved since it happened, Art. That's why Mr. Bunker's good personal friend, Angela Merkel, long-serving <laughs> chancellor of Germany, <laughs> asked him to make us look into this case. She did. As did Mr. Bunker's other good friend, based blimper and proud patron of this pod, Timid. <laughs> This is a double whammy. Double whammy. Timid and Angela Merkel That's both right. want us to they look both. into this. So, so let's let's get back to the story. Uh, that was the historical context. Let's get back into the story, okay? So after the men found these bodies on the Hinterkaifeck farm, police were immediately notified about the bodies, and inspectors came from Munich to start interviewing people. Wow. Now keep in mind, Hinterkaifeck is in sort of a rural area. So they brought in inspectors from Munich, which was the nearest big city in Bavaria is Southern Germany, right? This is in the South of Germany. So this is Southeast Germany. So think like kind of near Austria in a way, but it's in that area, Southeastern Germany. So, uh, the, in the lead was inspector Georg Reingruber. And despite the best efforts of police, which is he related to the Grubers? No, no. Related to Mick Gruber. Reingruber is his last name. Georg Reingruber. Great name. A lot of good names in this one. Yeah. So, uh, Ryan Gruber's the lead investigator, and despite the best efforts of police, which have since been determined to not be that great, uh, initial investigations were hampered by the number of people who had interacted with the crime scene. This is a big crime scene, too, by the way. It's huge. Uh, but uh, there were a number of people that were obviously visiting the farm. People had moved bodies and items around on the property. And, and as even, you do. 
and even cooked and eaten meals in the kitchen. More on that last point in a moment. Jesus. Wink. Huh. Um, so there is some evidence that the people who think the police didn't do a great job are kind of right, though. For example, remember the story of Michael Plockel? He was the artisan who saw somebody burning something in the oven that smelled really bad and got chased away after being blinded by a lantern. You remember that guy? Yeah. Well, this situation that he reported was never investigated and investigators didn't ever try to determine what was burned in the oven that night that he stopped by. Okay. So, you know, did they chase every lead? Maybe not. Nah, maybe not. So anyway, let's talk about what the police did do. The day after the bodies of the Gruber family and their housekeeper were discovered, a court physician named Dr. Johann Baptist Ummuller performed, I mean, just, it's just a cavalcade of great names. That's amazing. Uh, performed autopsies on the family. The doctor's findings were very gruesome. If you don't like hearing about gruesome murders, turn off the podcast and never listen to it again. <laughs> so the doctor's findings were very gruesome. The elder Cecilia showed signs of strangulation Jesus. and had suffered seven blows to the head, which cracked her skull. Andreas's face was caked with blood and his cheekbones protruded from the mangled flesh on his face. He had been hit a lot in the head. Uh, Victoria also suffered a cracked skull like her mother. Uh, her head had nine quote unquote star shaped wounds and it was determined the right side of her face had been hit with a blunt object. Ugh. Victoria's body, like her mother's, bore signs of strangulation, suggesting the murderer either struggled in dispatching the two women or perhaps showed them greater aggression for some reason. The signs of strangulation also pointed to the possibility of more than one murderer. So the younger Cecilia's lower jaw had been shattered and her face and neck were covered in big circular wounds. Um, she was also discovered with clumps of hair in her hands and bald patches all over her head, leading investigators to conclude she had ripped out her own hair. The authorities speculate that Cecilia likely didn't die right away from her injuries and presumably tore out her own hair as she laid terrified and dying next to the corpses of her mother and grandparents in the barn for several hours. Good Lord. Yeah. Now, according to police, after dispatching the Gruber adults and leaving little Cecilia for dead, the killer or killers went inside the house and murdered Maria and Joseph. Their bodies were found inside the farmhouse covered with sheets and a dress respectively. Maria was found in her bedchambers next to the kitchen, killed by crosswise blows to her head. Yosef was killed by a heavy blow to the face, still in his bassinet in Victoria's room. Like the rest of the family, except That's a for... a baby? He's two years old. Jesus Christ. And so like the rest of the family, except for little Cecilia, Maria and Yosef seem to have died fairly quickly. At least there's that. So based on Dr. Almuller's findings, as well as the ongoing investigation that was happening, the investigators concluded the killer lured four of the victims to the barn, one at a time, systematically attacking them and killing them. So he like Minecraft style kited them over one by one and then like took them out or something. Right. Like Some, game somehow convinced them to come one by one to the barn where he. This killer. Where? Yeah. This killer or killers. We don't know yet. Wow. So in court documents. That's fucking weird. Mm -hmm, it's, and it gets stranger too. Wow. So in court documents, it was noted that the victims were likely drawn to the barn by restlessness in the stable, resulting in noises from the animals in the barn. However, authorities tried to recreate this situation, and that attempt revealed that at least human screams from the, from the barn could not be heard in the living area of the house. 
So the question of what drew the family one by one to the barn still remained. Another question was the weapon used in the crimes. The weapon itself was initially unknown. Inside the barn, investigators found a pickaxe that had traces of blood on it and surmised that was the weapon used. In the house's attic, however, investigators also found a garden hoe with a protruding screw that appeared to match some of the wound marks on the victims. So because of these inconsistencies in the wounds of the victims, it was theorized that the killer used both weapons to help kill the Grubers. It was also suggested that there could have been more than one killer with one killer using each weapon. How big is this screw? Oh, it's just like one of these things where it's like it holds it together, but it's like sticks out a little bit from the side. But it's like if you hit somebody with it, it leaves a mark. You know, it can leave a mark on the skin if you hit. Like a puncture wound. Right. Like it's not like a, not like the sharp end of the screw. It's the head of the screw. Okay. Think of it that way. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So it's like, it's not. It's but he's not, not hitting them with the pointy side? Well, it's like near the, it's holding the pointy side on. Like it's near the top, but it sticks out a little. Okay. Trust me here. Okay. Um, I don't. <laughs> nor should you. <laughs> so, now, after completing his work on the autopsies, Dr. Amuller removed the heads nice. of all six victims, Hell yeah. which he then sent to Munich for further examination, which turned out not to yield much helpful information. The rest of the bodies stayed at Hinterkaifeck. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got the package you sent. Uh, our diagnosis, they are heads. That you cut off of a body. Thank you very much. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> it is me, Dr. Amnula. <laughs> right. So, allegedly, are the skulls of the Grubers and Maria Baumgartner were given to clairvoyance as well. Nice. In an attempt to learn more about the murderer. Let's go. This also did not advance the investigation. Now, strangely, the victim's skulls were kept in Munich, not sent back to Hinterkaifeck. So all the victims were buried headless. Later efforts to retrieve... This is brutal. This is awful. This is a fucking death metal album brutal level. So later efforts to retrieve the skulls were not successful, with authorities saying they were lost during the chaos of World War II. Though some believe that's just a cover story and that officials actually just got rid of the skulls or lost them. Period. So... (laughs) But nobody knows where the skulls ended up. So now... That's so fucked up. Now get ready for some more fucked up stuff. After committing these vicious crimes, police claim the killer or killers did not leave the scene. Police found that someone had recently eaten the entire supply of bread in the family's house, as well as some meat from the pantry, leading them to conclude the killer had not only lived in the house after murdering all the people that lived there, but also performed daily tasks like preparing meals and maintaining the farm. Remember- What the- Remember, I already pointed out that neighbors had seen smoke coming from the fireplace and that the farm animals and family dog had been tended to even after the murders had been committed. Police believed the murders happened on the night of March 31st, meaning the bodies went unnoticed for four days, in large part because the killer kept the farm running as usual. The only strange thing was that there were no Grubers to be found. It's Gruberless. It was it was a real... Sans Gruber. Sans Gruber, yeah. <laughs> Sans Gruber. Yeah. One of their cousins, Sans Gruber. Sans Gruber. And his brother, Hans Gruber. Yeah. <laughs> now, during the course of the investigation, more than 100 suspects were questioned wow. about their possible That's involvement wild. in the deaths of the Grubers. 
Those interviews revealed some interesting information about not only the farm, but the family who lived there. In the months and weeks leading up to the night of the slayings, a number of strange events occurred at the Hinderkaifek farm, none of which were reported to police prior wow. to the murders. Now, as you've probably already put together, Maid Maria Baumgartner was murdered on her very first night working for the family. She just got there in the afternoon and was dead that, later that night. The Grubers needed a new maid because the previous housekeeper, Christians Rieger, had quit about six months earlier, claiming the Gruber home was haunted. Whoa! Because she frequently heard unexplained noises and voices in the attic and felt like she was being watched. Sources also claim that after initially dismissing the former maid's concerns, the Gruber family eventually heard strange footsteps in the attic. When Andreas went to investigate, he found nobody in the attic and no evidence of anybody having been in the attic. Wow. A neighbor told police the family's patriarch had reported some strange happenings about a week before the murders. The most chilling of these was a set of footprints in the snow leading from the woods near the farm right up to the Gruber's house with no footprints leading away. Andreas searched Hinterkaifeck for any sign of the supposed intruder, but nobody was found. Andreas did notice that the lock on the tool shed had been scratched with metal as if someone had been trying to pick the lock or break it off the shed. Wow. Andreas also told his neighbors that one of the family's two house keys disappeared only a few days before he'd found the footprints in the snow. So the key comes missing. They find footprints leading up to the house that don't go anywhere. They go directly to the house, the back door, and then disappear. So he's like hiding on the premises? The thing that you would presume from all that information is that somebody obtained a house key, came in from the woods, walked right up to the house, entered the house undetected, and they never found them. Oh my God. This is fucking terrifying. <laughs> so this is a nightmare for you. Uh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to discuss that. Oh my God. So around the same time, Andreas said he'd found a newspaper from Munich in the house, which neither anybody in the Gruber family had purchased, nor was anybody in the town where they live subscribed to. That's the scariest part of the all. The scariest part of the mysterious newspaper. <laughs> The neighbor who was who got all this information we from... We don't subscribe to the Bavarian Herald. Where is the Bavarian ass <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> the world is closing in on me. So the neighbor that heard all this information from Andreas offered to lend Andreas a gun to protect the farmstead, but Andreas declined. People spec... Okay. Well, all right. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll learn more about this as we go. So right. that, that may not end up being actually that... Important of a point, but people speculate that the killer may have been hiding in the home for a long period of time before committing the murders, perhaps lending credence to this speculation. When investigating the home after the murders, police found evidence of food and feces in the attic of the home. Somebody was eating and shitting in the attic. What were you doing in 1922 and were you in Germany? Oh, I definitely was in the U.S. that whole time. <laughs> I definitely did not go to Germany, <laughs> specifically to Bavaria. <laughs> This area where I'm very familiar with, there definitely are no pictures of me yeah, looking for in Bavaria in 1922. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking for some cream pies in Germany. Hell yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> police also learned about the fucked up lives led by the Gruber family while they were investigating. Whoa. So buckle up. In 1915, Andreas and Victoria were both convicted of incest. Oh. Victoria was jailed for one month. What are you doing, Step Gruber? <laughs> Sons Gruba. What are you doing, Sons Gruba? Um, so Victoria got jailed for a month 
and Andreas was sent away for an entire year. Oh my God. Whilst you might think this- Wait, incest with whom? Each other. Okay, wait, they are brother and sister? They are father and daughter. Oh. Now hold on, Art. Whilst you might think this indicates Victoria was a willing participant in the incestuous affair because she went to jail for it, that does not appear to be the case. Uh. Rather, it seems that Victoria was punished for nothing more than being the victim of the heinous abuse of her father, Andreas, an absolutely dog shit human being, as we're going to see. Oh, Jesus, this is awful. So check this out. Andreas was known as a short-tempered and violent person, physically abusing both his wife and daughter. After serving his time for incest, Andreas resumed his incestuous activities and was later held in police custody for two weeks after a neighbor informed police of his continued abuse of Victoria. Ah! While many people believed Victoria's two-year-old son, Josef, was the child of Lawrence Schlittenbauer, a Hinterkaifeck neighbor, uh, who we already mentioned, uh, many believed that Joseph's father is not, uh, well, uh, many believe the child was the product of Andreas's incest. Uh. The true identity of Yosef's father is not definitively known, but uh. again, it's largely suspected that Yosef's real father was Andreas Gruber. He was his own grandson's father. Jesus, wow, this is turning into like a real fucking like anti-hero. Like at first you're like, oh my God, this poor family. And then you're like, well, you know, I mean the family, yes, but the dad, mm, yeah. Not such a bad thing that he got murdered. No, not so much. (laughs) So Andreas's appetite for incest and abuse were well known in the community. Oh, supposedly Andreas had had other children with his wife, Cecilia, besides Victoria. But Victoria was the only one to survive his abuse into adulthood. All the others died as children. Good Lord. Now, considering that this was a known thing in the area where the Grubers lived, Andreas was a particularly disliked person. According to a school friend of the seven-year-old Cecilia, on the day of the murders, March 31st, 1922, Cecilia fell asleep in class and when asked what was wrong, reported that her mother, Victoria, had run away from the family farm the night before after being hit by Andreas. Victoria was missing for several hours in the forest near the farm, but was eventually found slouched against an old tree stump. What the fuck? Yeah. So... After all that investigation and all those interviews, the police didn't charge anybody with the murders at Hinterkaifeck. Obviously, you already knew that because I already said they were unsolved. But this lack of closure has led to a large number of hypotheses about what happened that night and who was responsible. Let's talk about some of the most prominent. Okay. Okay. The police initially suspected murderous hobos or some other kind of traveling ne'er-do-well. Love that metal band. Murderous hobos, great band. Um, But nothing from the farm appeared to have been stolen. In fact, investigators found large sums of money in the form of gold and silver coins, bonds, and jewelry still within the house when they arrived. Wow. And this is kind of interesting, right? Because despite the economic calamity in Germany at the time, the Grubers had managed to become quite wealthy including keeping the aforementioned large amounts of cash stashed at Hinterkaifeck. It's easy to see how their wealth could make them target targets in such an economically distressed time. They were wealthy? They were wealthy. How? Farm? It's a very good question. Um, There's some possibilities. Okay. We'll discuss, I all guess. All right. Very ominous. But since all these valuables were found around, police ditched robbery as a potential motivator for the crimes. Some folks don't really agree with the police decision to turn focus away from a nomadic killer, though. Uh, Redditor, you slash Rocho72, underscore 72, I should say. My favorite thing reading Reddit usernames. Redditor. 
Redditor or Rocho. Redditor, you know they're very reliable. Rocho underscore 72. Posted in the Unsolved Murders sub and rudely brought up one of my biggest fears that the murderer was some drifter who was secretly living in the attic of the farmhouse. What a rude thing to bring up when I'm going to be reading it. Yeah, fuck this guy. Jesus Christ. But Rocho admits the hypothesis. This, no, this guy is not is no uh, you slash PM me your sweaty cocks. <laughs> yeah. Those are my favorites. For the you know, someone like someone with a horrible username says something very insightful, and then yeah. someone just goes, "Thanks, you slash tits and ass in my mouth." It's like okay. you slash donkey com don- yeah. donkey cum guzzler. Yeah. Um. So Rocho admits though that this hypothesis of a drifter is mostly speculative, but feels a vagrant in the attic explains the so-called haunting noises that drove away the Gruber's former maid. And also explains the person taking care of the farm for a few days, fueling up before hitting the road again. One question, though, is motivation. After all, nothing was stolen. Rojo suggests the killer hobo could have been a World War I veteran driven to sadistic madness, or that the drifter observed the family long enough to decide they deserve to die for their fucked up lives. Hmm. So police, though, ultimately believe the crimes had been committed by someone who knew their way around a farm as evidenced by the continued upkeep after the murders and by the suspected use of farm implements in the slayings. They also suspected the killer had knowledge of Hinterkaifeck itself to be able to stealthily navigate the property the night of the murders. The brutality of the killings led police to believe they had been committed by someone with a grudge against one or more of the Grubers. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm kind of leaning. So one theory was that the Gruber family and their housekeeper had been killed by Lauren Schlittenbauer, the very same neighbor who... Was possibly Yosef's father and uh, who was, you know, lived right nearby them. Um, So he was also the man, Lauren Schlittenbauer was, who allegedly offered to lend Andreas a gun when he mentioned the strange events that had occurred at the farm prior to the murders. And if you recall, Lauren Schlittenbauer is also the person who organized the search party that found the Gruber's bodies. So a little bit of history on Schlittenbauer. Schlittenbauer's first wife died in 1918, after which he and Victoria had a relationship which seemingly resulted in the birth of young Yosef. Both Lawrence and Victoria had publicly referred to Yosef as their child, at least at some point, and Lawrence was legally Yosef's father. They planned to get married until Andreas interfered and their relationship ended. Depending on the source, some say Lawrence broke off the proposal after Andreas threatened to kill him for claiming Yosef was the product of incest. Some say Lawrence asked Andreas for permission to marry Victoria but was rebuffed on who you talk to i guess to make things even more complicated while yosef didn't necessarily sh- uh sh- well while uh lawrence didn't necessarily shirk his legal responsibilities with respect to yosef it's also said that he believed he was not yosef's father but that yosef was andreas gruber's son and grandson so apparently at some point then lawrence uh, married someone else and had another son with his wife which died only of, at only a few weeks old so it was postulated that Lawrence might have been upset where, that his child with Victoria was the one that survived rather than his child with his current wife. So Victoria had also asked Lawrence for child support. According to some sources, Lawrence had already paid a sum of child support, like a one-time sum to Victoria for Yosef's uh, care. But not long before the murders, Victoria went to court to go ask for more child support given all the hyperinflation. Right. At the time. So police hypothesized that Lawrence was traumatized by the death of his child and pissed off about all the requests for child support for Yosef. So he murdered the Gruber family out of spiteful rage. As you do. 
These hypotheses were bolstered by the fact that those with Lawrence during the initial investigation had found his behavior a little sus. They said that he acted nonchalant, viewing and handling the bodies, seemingly unfazed by the gore of the scene, or the fact that he was gradually learning that his neighbors, which included children, were brutally slaughtered. He also knew his way around Hinterkaifeck. When Schlittenbauer and his friends arrived to investigate, they had to break a gate to enter the barn because all the doors were locked. After finding the bodies in the barn, however, Schlittenbauer unlocked the front door of the house with a key and went inside the house alone. Was Lawrence using the key that had gone missing in the lead up to the murders? Had he stolen the key or been given it willingly for sexy rendezvous with Victoria? Wow. Had Lawrence been the one making noises in the attic while he was secretly banging Victoria? When asked by his pals why he went into the house alone, despite nobody knowing for sure if the murderer was there or not, Schlittenbauer allegedly said he went to look for his son, Yosef. It's also been said that Schlittenbauer shouted, where is my boy, when he first when first discovering the bodies in the barn. Where's my boy? So while at the scene, Schlittenbauer disturbed the bodies, which might have ultimately compromised the investigation. It's unclear if that was his intent, but he did it nonetheless. The police questioned Lawrence extensively, but were unable to conclusively place him at the crime scene. His behavior could be explained by shock, they reasoned, and his knowledge of the farm by, relation, by his relationship to Victoria. Interestingly, though, the story of the footprints in the snow was something only told to police by Lawrence Schlittenbauer and not corroborated by other witnesses. It's been suggested that this was a ruse invented by Schlittenbauer, a red herring, if you will, but nobody's really certain. At the end of the day, the Schlittenbauer theory was mostly based on speculation, and it didn't seem to make sense for the killer to offer Andreas a gun to protect his family before the murders happened. Schlittenbauer also organized the search party that found the Gruber's bodies, not something you'd expect any but the most brazen of murderers to do. In addition, as the aforementioned Redditor, Redditor Rocho72 points out, Schlittenbauer uh, was a neighbor. How would it not be noticed that he was gone all the time murdering the Gruber clan and living right. on their farm for a few days? Also, if Schlittenbauer was the killer and he was living at the house for a few days, why disturb the bodies when he showed up with the search party? Lawrence had ample time between the murders and the police arriving to destroy as much evidence as he wanted. Yeah, he could have burned them or just buried them or done whatever. Yeah, exactly. So regardless, if Schlittenbauer was the murderer, he continued to be the subject of local suspicion because of his behavior related to the murders, which were seen as indicating knowledge of details that only the killer would know. He essentially became known in the area as the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. So the case files indicate a local <gasps> teacher named Hans E. Blogger found. It's just, I, it's just, I, Hans, Hans E. Blogger. Blogger. I mean, I don't, Schlittenbauer. Great recipes. Hans E. Blogger, yeah. <laughs> and travel tips. Yeah. On Hans E. Blogger. The Hans E. Blogger. Please, welcome to my blog. Hans E. Blogger. So Hans found Schlittenbauer visiting the site of, spoiler alert, the demolished Hinterkaifeck in 1925. So this is a few years after the murders. Hans asked Schlittenbauer why he was there, and Schlittenbauer said uh, the killer tried to bury the Gruber's bodies, but couldn't because the ground was frozen. This was seen as evidence that Schlittenbauer had insider knowledge of the conditions and circumstances during the murders, but given he was a neighbor and farmer, he might have known the ground was frozen at the time anyway, right? 
but it's still a pretty fucking weird thing yeah, to say. Kind of a weird thing to say. You know, a weird thing to fucking bring up. Oh, wow, they're unprompted. demolishing that farm where that horrible murder took place. Yeah, you know, the ground was frozen, so the killer probably couldn't bury the bodies. <laughs> yeah, what a fucking weird thing to say. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go back to my Hansi blog. Yeah. <laughs> so, over the years, Schlittenbauer filed and won several civil claims for slander against people who described him as the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. Wow. Schlittenbauer passed away in 1941. Rip. So that's Schlittenbauer. Another prominent hypothesis is that the Grubers and Maria Baumgartner were killed by Carl Gabriel, Victoria's husband and presumably seven-year-old Cecilia's father. Carl Gabriel had reportedly been killed in action by a shell attack in December 1914 while serving in Arras, France during World War I. His body, however, was never recovered. The key in this hypothesis is that you have to believe Carl Gabriel didn't actually die in the war. It's been speculated that Victoria's husband returned to the Hinterkaifeck farm after several years. And when he realized that his wife had been with another man, obviously because evidenced by the existence of two-year-old Yosef, um, who was born a few years after <laughs> Carl Gabriel supposedly died at war, that Carl Gabriel murdered everybody in a fit of rage. Wow. Now, having said that, a lot of people from Carl Gabriel's unit uh, attested to him being killed in action in World War I, saying they had seen his dead body with their own eyes. But, interestingly, after the end of the Second World War, not the First World War, prisoners of war from Bavaria who were released early from a Soviet prisoner of war camp claimed they were released by a German-speaking Soviet officer who said he was the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. Some of these prisoners of war later changed or recanted their statements, damaging their credibility, but it was thought that this Soviet officer might be Carl Gabriel because those who claimed to have seen Gabriel after his reported death, so people who said, I saw him alive after he supposedly died, uh, these people testified that Carl Gabriel wanted to go to Russia. Sure. Okay. So, uh, that's Carl Gabriel. Yeah. Uh, another hypothesis floating around is that the killings could have been related to Andreas's incest, mainly in some sort of murder suicide situation uh, perpetrated by either Andreas or Victoria. This is kind of an easy one to dismiss because it would have been really hard to inflict those kind of injuries on yourself. So that's one that's floated sometimes, but it doesn't, I don't know, not yeah. really a popular one, but Hey, this case has a lot of other hypotheses, Art, okay? Yeah, unless you were like, uh, who's that guy from The Simpsons who's like, wants to kill Bart? Sideshow Bob? Yeah, Sideshow Bob, and you put a bunch of rakes on the floor, and you just hit yourself, and you went, <laughs> oh. <laughs> My favorite scene. The Sideshow Bob theory, this officially is yeah. going to be called. That's, I guess, how you could do blunt force trauma into your own head. There you go. Art cracked this case wide open, just like their skulls. So, but... Um, there's a lot of other hypotheses here too, Art. So don't, don't settle on one just yet. Okay. I won't. And I'll tell you some of these don't even involve incest at all. Uh, so for example, a local man named, and I shit you not, Adolf Gump was, <laughs> <laughs> come on. That's his name, Adolf Gump. Life is like the box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> Life is like a jar sauerkraut. <laughs> you always know what you're going to get. <laughs> So, Adolf Gump. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. Adolf Gump, that's his name. I shit you not, Adolf Gump. 
was supposedly listed as a suspect as early as April 9th, 1922. Like right away, Adolf Gump was a suspect, which I guess in hindsight makes a lot of sense. If I knew somebody named Adolf Gump, I would assume he committed a crime too. <laughs> Either jogged across the country or committed a crime. So Horrible crime. So Adolf Gump was supposedly listed as a subject as early as April 9th, 1922 because of his connections to the Freikorps Oberland. Now, Adolf was a prime suspect, managed to evade the authorities by running the entire width of the Eurasian landmass, finally setting, settling in China, where he became a table tennis champ. That's not true. That's a joke. <laughs> that's a pretty good joke. That's pretty good. I love you, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny! <laughs> run, Adolf, Run! <laughs> Now, uh, so he's suspected because of his connection to the Freikorps Oberland. Now, if you don't know, the Freikorps Oberland was a Weimar Republic era. That is, again, the government government established after Germany's defeat in World War One, which ended in 1933 as another Adolf, Adolf Hitler, and his Nazi party seized power, right. effectively ending the Republic. I mean, it's more complicated than that, but sure, uh, sure. summarizing for the, these purposes. So. The Freikorps Oberland was a Weimar Republic era volunteer paramilitary group founded by president of the Thule Society, Rudolf von Sabotendorf. Whoa. So there you go. Holy shit. Now, the Freikorps had ties to radical right wing groups in Bavaria and became the core of the Nazi paramilitary um, SA in Bavaria, though some of the Freikorps members were opposed to the Nazis. Uh, So they initially start fighting like Soviets, they're fighting. They're fighting communists, basically, right, right, right. in in Germany, and uh, eventually they form the SA. Um, so interesting to note, Andreas Gruber was maybe not surprisingly at this point a Nazi sympathizer. Uh, it's been <laughs> hypothesized that some of the anti-Nazi Freikorps members may have killed the Grubers to keep Bavaria more liberal. Bavaria was apparently a somewhat liberal part of Germany, right. at the time. So. Uh, but back, getting back to Adolf Gump, uh, while nothing definitive happened with the Gumps in 1920, uh, in 1951, prosecutor Andreas Pop investigated Adolf and his brother Anton Gump because their sister, Crescentia Meyer, claimed on her deathbed that the Gump bros had committed the Hinterkaifeck murders. As a result, Anton Gump was taken into police custody for three weeks, wow. but was eventually dismissed again, and in 1954... The case against him was finally discontinued because he could not be proven to have participated in the crime. Anton had also gone beyond the statute of limitations for prosecution in the case. He could have still been prosecuted if it could be proven he was the subject of investigation for the murders during the first 20 years following the crime, but investigators could not definitively prove it. It's believed that records potentially demonstrating that Anton was a suspect were destroyed in an air raid in 1944. So Adolf was a suspect, but not they couldn't prove Anton was 30 years later. Uh, Adolf died in 1944, being killed near a French prisoner of war camp. So uh, in a similar vein to the Gump brothers theory, it's been suggested that the Grubers were potentially murdered by the Nazis themselves who wanted to take over Hinterkaifeck and use it as a remote hideaway. Along these same lines, in post-World War I Germany, the military was kind of a no-no <laughs> per the terms of the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. That said, some folks in Bavaria were sympathetic to the German military and offered places for the clandestine military to organize and store equipment. 
It's been suggested that Andreas Gruber offered Hinterkaifeck as a meeting location and storage area for weapons, allegedly even storing two military aircraft at the farm only months before the murders. Wow. Around the same time, some documents related to the military equipment stored at Hinterkaifeck came up missing and were used in an attempt to extort money from military officials. Andreas was a suspect in the theft of the documents, and it's been suggested the murders were a military operation carried out to retrieve the documents and take revenge on Andreas. Yeah. It's been suggested. Um, Here's another suspect. A man named Peter Beber was identified as a suspect based on claims made by a man named Joseph Betts. Weber and Betts worked together in the winter of 1919 to 1920 as laborers, and they shared a room together. And according to Betts, Weber talked about Hinterkaifeck. Like he knew what where Hinterkaifeck was and yeah. about it. And he knew that one old couple lived there with their daughter and her two children. Betts testified in a hearing that Weber suggested killing the old man to steal the family's money. Betts said he wasn't into it, so Weber didn't bring it up again. Hey, it could have just been a joke. <laughs> could have been. All right. Just classic Bavarian joke. Just classic Bavarian joke. Let's German murder humor. that old man and take his money. Let's kill that old man and take his money. No. <laughs> okay. The Gruber's former maid, Christians Rieger, worked at Hinterkaifeck from November 1920 to about September of 1921. She suspected the brothers Anton and Carl Beekler were the murderers. Anton Beekler had helped with the potato harvest at Hinterkaifeck. So he knew the farm. He knew his way around. Rieger said Beekler talked to her often about the Gruber and Gabriel family. Anton reportedly suggested that the family ought to be dead. Uh, Christians also said that the Gruber family dog who barked at everyone never barked at Anton. So he could show up and nobody would be alerted to his presence. Wow. In addition, she reported speaking with a stranger through her window at night. Christians believed that it was Carl Beekler. Anton's brother. She thought that Anton and Carl could have committed the murder together with Georg Sigel, who worked at Hinterkaifeck and knew how wealthy the Grubers were. Allegedly, Siegel broke into the Gruber house in November 1920 and stole a few things, but he denied doing that. Hmm. Aside from the Beeklers, Christian's testimony also implicated the Taller brothers. The brothers had already committed several minor burglaries in the area before the murders. Ooh. Christian said that Joseph Toller stood at her window at night and asked her questions about the family, which she didn't answer. And and just for a moment, yeah. How many people is the maid talking to through her window at night? Like a fucking drive-through. Yeah, like chat. A, this is like uh she's like ancient Bavarian chat room. Yeah, like like just roll up to the maid's window. Hey, what's going on in this place? Christians, what's happening? ASL. <laughs> oh shit, a woman. <laughs> Any chicks in here? Uh, what kind of gold you guys got in this place? You got any, like, what is this? Got any coins? Jewelry? Man, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, so, Christian said that Joseph Toller came to her window and asked questions about the family that she didn't answer. And in conversation, Joseph Toller said he knew about Andreas's incest, claimed to know which family member was sleeping in which room, and said he knew that they had a lot of money. During their conversation, Christian said there was another person nearby who she didn't know. According to Christian's statement, Joseph Toller and the nearby stranger had looked at the machine house and turned their eyes upward, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. 
other yeah. than the machine shed was, you know, a, a focal I, building I, in I, the murders. Yeah, but, I guess. I don't, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, Christians uh, uh, told Victoria, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Christians told Victoria about the encounter that she had with the Taller brothers. And Victoria told Christians to be careful about opening the door for the Taller brothers. Christians also noted that the year prior to the strange encounter at her window, Andreas found the Taller brothers in the machine shed at Hinterkaifeck and shot at them with a rifle. A military rifle, by the way. Okay, well, that's pretty sus. Yeah, so, I mean, Andreas maybe already had a gun. Didn't need to borrow one. Andreas got a gun. So further, Christians reported that she heard a rumor that one of the Taller brothers almost got divorced from his wife until the wife threatened to go to the police to accuse the brother of the murders at Hinterkaifeck. After that, the brother backed off from divorcing his wife. Which, I mean, if you know your husband's a murderer, that's one you got to keep. Yeah. You want to keep the murderer. In 1921, a man named Joseph Bartle was being treated for mental illness in a, in a hospital in Goonsburg. Bartle. In the hospital. Oh, Peggy. The bottle. Oh, Peggy. My bottle. <laughs> so this guy's being treated for mental illness in sure. Goonsburg. And in the hospital, he allegedly told a fellow patient about a plan to raid a farm in Weidhofen near the woods, which basically describes Hinterkaifeck's location. The fellow patient refused to help Bartle in the scheme, so Bartle threatened to murder him if he told anybody. Bartle eventually escaped from the hospital and was known to be in the area of Hinterkaifeck at the time of the murders. Holy shit. While nothing definitively connects him to the scene, Bartle is thought to have been capable of such a gruesome crime because he had a history of violent robberies. A witness testified that Bartle had given her a blood-stained 100-mark note and was carrying a large amount of cash when he did so. Interestingly, police did not find any paper money in the house at Hinterkaifeck, only the other valuables I already mentioned. Was there paper money? And did Joseph Bartle steal all of it after he murdered the family? Wow. So, in the middle of May 1927, at midnight, a stranger was said to have stopped a person who lived in Weidhofen. The stranger asked the Bavarian questions about the Hinterkaifeck murders and then shouted that he was the murderer and ran into the woods. The stranger was never identified. Possible suspect. In 19... <laughs> In 1971. This story, man. This is fucking insane. So in 1971. So this is going like we're much closer to the present now. 1971. Yeah. A woman named Teresa T. I, I don't have the, the last name I, I identified, but a woman named Teresa T. Wrote a letter about an event in her young age. When she was 12 years old, she witnessed her mother receiving a visit from the mother of the brothers Carl and Andreas S. Don't know exactly what their last name is. The woman claimed that the sons, Carl and Andreas, were the Hinterkaifeck killers. At some point, the mother said, quote, Andreas regretted that he lost his penknife, end quote. And in fact, a penknife was found on the farm in 1923, and it was unclear to whom the knife belonged. Christians was certain she had already seen the penknife on the property while she worked at Hinterkaifeck, though. So while these claims were investigated, they did not lead to anywhere fruitful. Author Bill James, in his book, The Man from the Train, says that a man known as Paul Mueller may have been responsible for the murders. Mueller was the only suspect in the 1897 murder of a Massachusetts family 
And James believes Mueller killed dozens of victims based on research in American newspaper archives. The Hinterkaifeck murders have some similarities to Mueller's suspected crimes in the United States, including killing an entire family in their isolated home using a farm tool as a weapon and the apparent absence of robbery as a motive. Wow. James suspects that Mueller, described as a German immigrant and even German military veteran in contemporary media, might have left the U.S. to return to Germany after private investigators and journalists began to notice and publicize patterns in family murders across state lines following the 1912 murders of two families in one night in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Jesus Christ. And a similar family murder a few weeks later, a few hundred miles away in the state of Kansas. Now, much more recently, in 2007, students at the German uh, Furstenfeldbruck Police Academy (laughs) used modern techniques to try to solve the case. They apparently eliminated all suspects, except for one, but refused to release the information to the public since the suspect is already dead anyway. The students thought it more important to protect the privacy of the remaining living family. Okay. Germany's big on privacy. Big on privacy. Got big privates. So, within the year after the murders, Hinterkaifeck had partially burned down. So, in 1923, just a year after the Gruber family and Maria Baumgartner were viciously murdered, Hinterkaifeck Farm was raised and a memorial to the victims was put in its place. Still stands today. In addition to the simple concrete shrine, there is a memorial to the victims in the Weidhofen Cemetery where the Grubers and their housekeeper were laid to rest. Now, remember when I mentioned the murder weapon earlier? We talked about the murder weapon? And how the police thought that it could have been a pickaxe found in the barn and a garden hoe found in the attic? Well, as the farm was being cleared before being torn down, a mattock was found on the property. A mattock is a farming tool similar to a pickaxe with a long handle, and a wide head with a chisel on one end yeah, oh, okay. and a blade on the other. Yeah. The reason police initially suspected the use of the pickaxe and the hoe in the killings is because neither weapon by itself accounted for all of the injuries observed on the bodies. The mattock, however, could have produced all the types of injuries suffered by the Gruber family all by itself. Interestingly, this mattock was handmade by Andreas Gruber himself. The tool was found by Hinterkaifeck farmhand Georg Siegel. You remember him. Uh, Siegel said that he carved the handle during his time on the farm and knew where it was stored. Keep in mind, Christians Rieger suspected that Georg Siegel was in cahoots with the Taller brothers to carry out the murders. To wrap things up on this tale, despite repeated arrests, no murders, no murder has ever been found and the files were closed in 1955. That said, the last interrogations in the case took place in 1986. Wow. Wow, indeed. What a story, Beefers. This is one puzzling true crime mystery to untangle. I mean, this thing is twistier than a soft, salty Bavarian pretzel. There's only one thing to do in cases like these, and that's to pretend you are a pretzel. Tie yourself into a knot and douse yourself in cheese sauce and mustard. I guess, in a way, if you do that, you'll be a lot like me, too. I never realized how much like a pretzel I am. It's kind of deep if you think about it. But you probably shouldn't think about it. If you look too deep into it, you're only going to find the whole enchilada. Thank you.
Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Welcome back. That was my research into the Hinterkaifeck murders. Art is shaking his head. He is perplexed. He is puzzled. He is befuddled. He is totally frazzled by this case, and he does not know what to think right now. I don't know what to think, Andy. This is a crazy one, man. This is a twisty, this twisty one, man. And I'll be honest, I don't know what my verdict's going to be either. Really? I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I don't know what to think. I'll tell you what, I'm glad I didn't take this topic because I would not be able to pronounce any of the names. <laughs> we'll see how I did, German listeners. Let me know how bad I fucked up. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's brutal. There's twists and turns. There's a lot of these suspects make sense. I think, you know, over the course of it, though, it's 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 the fact that they didn't rob anything and they lived there. That's really telling that that's this is not a normal robbery gone wrong. You OK, like I get that this is like an older time. People were more brutal back then. People are still brutal, but like to go like, OK, there's there's levels, right? To rob somebody is like, okay, like it's bad. You shouldn't do it, but you understand it, right? You're like, someone's in need. This is Germany's in a really bad place. People are robbing each other. Like, okay, yeah, you got robbed. You lost your possessions, but you have your life, whatever. Then to take it a step further, murder a person. There's mm-hmm. a certain level where we're like, oh, geez, that's, I mean, it's horrible. It's one of the m- most ancient rules. Don't fucking murder people. Yada, yada, yada. And you're like, huh? But to murder children, to murder a two-year-old baby, that's that's an even step further, don't you think? Yeah. And a seven-year-old who's probably the victim of abuse. Yes. Like, let's be honest. Yes. Little Cecilia was probably abused by her grandfather. Yes. So, If not his daughter. Right. By proxy of abusing her mother. So, um... To murder an entire family and then young children, that's a certain level of like, this is heinous. There's a depravity to it. Yeah, that, depravity. You know, it's like, and for what reason? Yeah. I mean, that, I, think that's, I think that's an important point, too, that it is especially depraved. It's easy to see why people could hate Andreas Gruber, but there's not, there's not a real seeming reason for anybody to hate the rest of the family. Right. Unless they just hate them by association. Right. They just think that that whole family is just fucking evil. Everybody's fucked because uh, of what happened. 
you know, there was a story that went around at the time of the murders that because of the, the footsteps in the snow, that it was the devil himself that committed the murders. Devil himself. Came out of the woods, entered the home, then didn't leave until after he'd finished the job. Jeez, the devil known for murdering Bavarians. <laughs> devil really loves to murder. Um, he doesn't really, though. No. and I, but I He think, wants to keep you around and torture you. Right. He needs... Poke your butt with his little hot poker. Oh, he loves poking butts with his hot he poker. He loves poking butts. He loves poking butts. Yeah, was a little butt freak. Yeah, he likes making deals. The devil likes deals. Yeah. Demons will murder you. Devils like deals. Devil went down to Georgia. They want to make, uh, they want to get you, they want to get your little soul. Yeah. They want to get you to do things for them. Yeah. That's what devils do. Yeah. They sit on your little shoulder and they whisper sweet nothings into your ear. The devil convinced whoever did this murder. That's what the devil did. That's the devil. That's the work of the devil. Because now the devil gets all these souls. Yeah. Presumably. He's taken up on these souls. Yeah. Reflecting on the souls. He got little Yosef's soul. He got that boy's soul. <laughs> um, Are there any suspects that you want to immediately eliminate? Yeah, I don't think this was a military slaying. Because why, why would they... Like, why would they beat them to death with farm equipment and then leave the bodies? Right. If they're even any kind of paramilitary, they would use guns and like dispose of the bodies in a certain way. Yeah. In like, I mean, these just this reeks of either robbery gone wrong or uh like a wild yeah, like serial killer. Or Bartle, the the mental institution kind of guy who broke out of the mental institution and said, I'm gonna kill people. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go kill people at a farm. Like, huh. And I think the point about Bartle that's really interesting is the, I mean, it's, it, it's the question is like, is the story true? The story about him having a bloodstained hundred mark note or Mueller. And did, was there paper money at Hinterkaifeck before the murders? Right. I think that's an, that's, that's something that I didn't see that anybody knows definitively whether or not there was paper money there or not. But, but why wouldn't he take the gold? I mean, it's a good question. Why not take the gold? That's it's probably worth a little bit more than the paper marks. You'd you think, think you'd think that probably the Grubers have all this stuff. Like they're keeping all these coins, probably because it's tangible, like value. Right. You know, uh, it's actual gold. It's actual silver. Whereas the paper money, obviously, is basically worth nothing. Quickly approaching the value of nothing. Yeah. Uh, at this point in 1922. So there's, I mean, there's a case to be made of like, why would you even have uh, paper marks if you had all this other stuff? I mean, I suppose you would need them as a matter of convenience since it's the prevailing currency of the time, but it's a fair question. But if that story is true, um, it kind of like lends credence, I think, to Bartle. As a good suspect, seems like he has the ability, the maybe necessary depravity, yeah, to pull something like this off. And you know, then if he gets a bunch of marks out of it, you know, then he can go. Spend you know, it's places. like you look at the taller brothers, and you're like, okay, they talked about robbing the place, case in the joint. They've been there. They're talking to the window, 
lady in the window and shit. And they're like chit-chatting and looking at shit. Yeah. They're there. They've been there. But why do they murder the entire family and then live? Like, like I do believe that the killer murdered the family and then lived there. That's what it seems like. And the killer is likely also this person with the lantern, right? Yeah. Presumably that the that either the murderer or one of the murderers is the person heating the oven that night that shined the light into baking bread, shitting in the attic. And right. we're and this is human shit, right? Human feces. As far as we know, yeah. Yeah. As far as I know. Yeah. Uh I do think that it's interesting that why stay? And what 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 was the you know, like it's it's an interesting question if if this is somebody local you know coming up to the window why stay because again to the same thing that lauren schlittenbauer has won't your absence be noticed and people nearby would be like oh yeah he was gone for a few days right right after this happened that's why i rule him out he doesn't make any sense yeah schlittenbauer to me doesn't make a lot of sense either he's a very popular um target and obviously everyone in in Weidhofen in the area of Hinterkaifeck believe that he did the, he committed the murders right um but it kind of seems like he's just a weird fucking dude uh and said some weird shit and did odd things Germans are very blunt yeah they're very blunt people <laughs> they are and you know it's like there's he had a relationship with Victoria so it's not crazy to me to think that he might have had a key to the place yeah or he'd been there before he would know his way around. And it's not his fault that he hates Andreas or whatever. No, he's right for hating Andreas. Andreas yeah. sucks. Right. Um, another interesting point, and I think this is worth mentioning to you. Okay. The killings supposedly happened in the barn at night. So that means that it's like really dark. So the person who committed the murders had to be able to pretty much navigate the farm, yeah. navigate the barn in pitch darkness. There's no moonlight or anything? Well, I mean, there could be moonlight. It could have been snowy, too. There were tracks in the snow leading up to the murders. So it's possible that there's moonlight illuminating things. And snow makes things reflective. Right. But, but still, likely very dark. But I'm just saying that this person, you know, probably wasn't using a lantern because that would draw attention. Yeah. So you have to just kind of assume that the person's in the barn in the dark and was able to do this all without the help of a light. Jesus. And then you have to ask what got the, is it believable that they all left one at a time to the barn to be killed? And how did the person pull that off? How did the murderer do that? I know they, they it, it's like a metal gear solid thing. Yeah. Huh? Very, very much. Thought I heard something. Huh? Yeah, and you get a big question mark above their head, and they like go Brink. investigate. Yeah, bring. <laughs> um, I think that's the that's one thing that's got me puzzled. Puzzled a little bit is how did they get? How did they get somebody over there? And that's fact. One at a time. Well, not really. People are moving the bodies around. It's speculation, right? By the police. This is what the police concluded, right? And so that's just become the narrative. But I. You know, the forensic options available to the police at the time were not anything like they are now. So 
I don't know that they could do a real definitive reconstruction of the crime scene and really make a decision about exactly how things happen. But that's what they suspected is that I assume that they suspect that because they say, well, if everybody went out together, um, yeah, they'd be able to stop. The they'd person. be able to stop something. Yeah. Right. Or, or there would be more signs of like struggle and blah, blah, blah. So, but I was thinking maybe it's a situation like where somebody makes a big commotion, right? It wakes the whole house up, but it's dark and they don't see anything. So, of course, everybody's awake and they're like, okay, let's go check this out. He goes out there, gets murdered. Time goes by. They start to go, maybe something happened. Yeah. Go check on him. Victoria, Cecilia, like whoever goes out, checks on him. Time goes by. Right. Somebody else goes. Gets murdered. Little Cecilia goes. You know, Maria's like sleeping with Yosef, keeping him safe, supposedly. And then she goes out, gets murdered. Mm-hmm. Killer goes, hmm, well, nobody else is coming. Guess I'm going to go inside and finish the job. Right. Uh, I don't know, though. I don't know what that could be, what that thing could be, what that commotion could be, and why they would respond that way. But I guess this is in the time before telephones. This is in the time, I mean, maybe not. I don't no. know. I don't know if they had a phone at the house, though. Yeah, but like, is yeah, I see. It's not the time before telephones, but right. You know, it's like, I don't know. You're not, you can't just call up. I don't know that it's so easy to just pick up the receiver and be like, something weird is going on in our barn. Can send the police to check yeah. it out? This is probably still a time where you, and I mean, they're farmers. So it's like, you know, they handle their own. It's probably a do it yourself kind of a situation. Yeah. They want to do it themselves. Right. All right. So I tell you what. I could never live on a 1920s Bavarian farm. <laughs> Why is that? Just not cut out for that kind of life. Why do you say that? Just seems like a tough life. Yeah. I mean, it must be horrible being rich. Using your family. What a life. It didn't seem like they were living it up in the lap of luxury, though. No, no, not at all. I don't think that they're like... They just were... They were wealthy. But it doesn't seem like they were ostentatious about it. No. Because... Um, I mean, Hinterkaifeck seems like a pretty it's like a farm. normal looking farm. Like, it doesn't seem like you go, wow, this is really palatial for a farm. No, that's got to be terrifying, though. Like getting murdered? Yeah. yeah, getting murdered. No, like living in a Bavarian farm at night. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it then, too, there wouldn't have been, like, proliferation of streetlights and uh ambient sources of electric right. light would have been much much smaller right so when it gets dark it gets really dark yeah if you've ever been like outside of range of the lights of the city it gets dark when it gets dark and two you know they probably didn't get a lot of travelers i imagine and if they did people probably knew about it and were talking about it i mean i don't yeah. know like, yeah it seems who- like a very Who's traveling out to Hinterfuck? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Hinterfuck. It's like, Hinterfuck. Who gives a fuck about Hinterfuck? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's accurate though. It's 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 not a like, it's not like this is a major uh, tourist hub at the time. It doesn't seem like, and it doesn't seem like there's a very large like city that would bring a lot of visitors in. So it's like you got to know that there's a farm out there. Yeah, kind of like 
If you don't know, I don't think this is somebody just passing through. Right. You're not just you. You know, if you all these people that are passing by, they're like either doing their locals, right? Like, yeah, like these hunters, the mailmen, Michael Paukel, like these are local people who know the Grubers and might have a, a valid reason for being by there because they live in the area. But I don't think you would see like a lot of out of towners just showing up. Right. Um, any suspects really tickling your pickle? I like the I like Bartle and I like the taller brothers. What about you? Uh I like those two, three. Um, and Mueller. Yeah, Mueller's kind of an interesting one. Mueller. I don't know what to make of Mueller. Mueller. The author, Bill James, even said that. It's a stretch, man. He's well, you know, and just to like set the scene a little for uh for um the book that he wrote, The Man from the Train, which sounds really interesting, and I would like to read it. Um basically what he did is he was trying to solve this like unsolved case of axe murders in Iowa. And so he's doing it's like from like 1912 or something. Like it's it's very old. Axe murders were big back then. Big time back then. And so he's doing this research through uh, like basically like newspaper archives and stuff um, from American papers that covered these things. And they start to the, the, the authors, they start to put together this, they find these similarities and they find, you know, this case in 1897 where Mueller is the only suspect, um, but never, never convicted, never tried, never anything like that. And then it's the circumstances of all these different, they find all these situations that seem eerily similar and so it's basically the whole book is building the case that Mueller is probably one of the most prolific undetected serial killers in american history wow for killing like families at a time using the blunt end of an axe typically or some other like piece of equipment found at the home to murder the family the blunt end i don't know i don't understand that but that's the spec that's just speculative that Mueller did this because I mean basically Bill James even said that it's probably kind of a toss up of if he was involved or not, but that he certainly seems capable of pulling off a crime like the Hinterkaifeck murders, but there's nothing definitive to tie him to it. That's crazy. Yeah. One of the most prolific serial killers never to be found. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is pretty, a pretty wild story. And obviously like all of these cases are so old and stuff. It's, it's hard to definitively prove. I mean, you know, this is an ancient case at this point. Yeah. It's like when we looked at the, the Lindenberg baby kidnappings. I mean, obviously we found out who did those. Right. Ian Hamilton. Ian Hamilton. But, um, you know, I mean, it's before that time, how are you supposed to, there's no evidence. There's no DNA. There's no. Yeah. It's just, hey, we this person said that they want to go murder people at one point in time. Well, you know, it's like, it's like I, <laughs> I think with a lot of these that we cover that are in the past, it's like, obviously, it's very easy to criticize the police work because sure, they're being held to different standards than were around at the time. So it's almost like you have to look into obviously when they did the 2007, when the police academy went and looked back at this investigation they found it to be pretty deficient but 
again, it's like they're students judging it in 2007 based right. on 1922 police work. It's like the police there, they didn't have a, a great setting to start with. Yeah. Because it was known by the police that people had been on the farm, been doing stuff for several days where there were no Gruber seen or heard from. So the crime scene is big. It was impossible to keep it contained because they didn't even know there were bodies there until a few days later. So it's hard to, I don't know. You can fault the police. Sure. But it's hard to say they bungled this and they would have found the killer if they did a better job. But do you think that this Mueller fella was just killing families all up and down the U S coast and then went back over to Germany and was like, I'm going to do it again. I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of stretch. Yeah. Truthfully. It's a cool idea. Why would he go back to Germany? Uh, the reason that Bill James cites for the possibility of Mueller going back to Germany is that he started to get some attention or uh, the killing started to get some attention that private investigators were looking into these killings. And because he killed, it's almost like he killed too much. And so you could say it was a little much. He went overboard on the killing. So he killed two families in one night in Colorado Springs. Jesus and then, Christ. And then a few weeks later, he killed another family in Kansas. Pretty close together are Kansas and Colorado. They share a border. So these areas were pretty geographically close. So it started to get private investigators looking at these three separate murders and start asking questions. And journalists were starting to connect them together. Yeah. So. James is sort of hypothesis is that Mueller senses this heat coming on thinks he could be caught and so goes back to Germany wow just does it again but one thing about Mueller is you know he was described as a German immigrant described as a military veteran in the German military also worked his pretty much entire time in the United States as a carpenter so he's a woodworker he knows how to use these tools That's interesting. Man, I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to think. Mueller climbing up your chart now? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I what, what? So we don't know what happened to him. Yeah, I don't know for sure what happened to him. And that, I mean, I think the thing is that Bill James even said in an interview or something that I read that um, it's basically like it's 50-50 if he was involved or not. Like they don't have anything that definitively puts him there. But it was sort of like, but why wouldn't he be? You know, like he, why couldn't he be? Like there's nothing that says he could not have done this. You know what I mean? They can't put him at the scene, but they also have nothing that says there's no possible way that Mueller could have done this. And he's killed entire families before. Right. Without robbing them. Right. He's just, he's just murdering them. Just likes to murder families. Loves murder. Murdering guy. Wow. <laughs> Starts getting sucked into the Mueller hypothesis. Yeah, maybe. Rising the rising the ranks. Um, you know, I think uh I tend to agree with you though about the military stuff, like the Nazis and, and all this. Cause I, I was reading too that if the Nazis had wanted to take this over as a secret base, they would have just killed the family, nobody would have ever found the bodies, and they would have just kept living there. So it doesn't really 
seem like a Nazi thing to have done that and then just abandoned it right away. Um, it's like they would have just kept living there. And then if people came up and were like, what happened to the Grubers? They would have been like, no Grubers have ever lived here. <laughs> like that kind of a thing. <laughs> Which is so... The most, 404 Grubers not found. Like the most <laughs> Nazi thing I've ever heard of. What happened to the family that lived here? There's no family by that name that's ever lived here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my house, which is somewhere I'm not going to tell you where. No, you're right. It would have been done. You'd think it would be done more systematically. But, you know, veterans, obviously, of World War One were one of the first. I don't know, maybe not the first. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe maybe it's actually the Civil War or something where. But but anyway, veterans of World War One famous for shell shock. Famous for like. This was maybe one of the. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. Like the first time post-war where people are like, oh, oh, wow. Veterans have needs when they come back. Oh, wow. This is bad. (laughs) I think I think that one thing. But Ruler One was such a scale. It was such a modern war. And it was just obviously there had been horrible things. But like war had really changed after World War One. It it wasn't like wars of old where it was. I mean, even wars of old. Sometimes you you think about like Napoleonic Wars and you're like, you motherfuckers just lined up and marched at each other. Like how fucked up that is. Yeah. And how brutal that is. You just sit there and line up and then you have the officer running back and forth being like, hold the line. <laughs> That's fucked up. For World War One, it was like nobody won. It was just being bombarded with shells and living in a trench and dying of like sepsis and like Don't forget mines. And mines, and then every once in a while, he'd be like, "Well, get up over the fucking, get up over." <laughs> Time to take ten feet of ground. Yeah, and it wasn't like wars of old, where it was like we won the battle, huzzah, and you could like at least rest on that, right? It's like, yeah, yeah I lost my limbs, but hey, I won that battle. This was like, well, don't forget, I too. lived in a trench for fucking. Five months, all my friends died, and then I got poisoned by mustard gas. Right. That's what I was going to say is don't forget the gas because chemical warfare was a real thing. Yeah, Gatling guns were new or machine guns were a thing. And and it it had long term health effects on people that were exposed to the mustard gas, like on both sides, like people using it and people being attacked by it. So definitely veterans came back with different needs than they would have from Napoleonic Wars. Plus, you know, as medical care advanced, it's like mm. people are surviving these things more than they were in the Napoleonic Wars. True. Um, you know, it's like obviously in the Civil War, if you get shot in the arm, they're like, you don't have an arm anymore. <laughs> like there's nothing they can do. <laughs> Yoink. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think there's something to that, that there were probably more. There were more veterans who were actually returning home rather than just dying in the field. And. There were probably, you know, <laughs> there are probably more different types of military need, right? Like, I feel like it wasn't just soldier, officer, bombardier, you know, brigader, cavalry. It was like, yeah. this is like the modern supply line guy and medic and fucking like comms and like all these other things where it's like maybe you didn't see as much combat. And then, like, Jesus Christ, like trench warfare is, I can't imagine anything yeah. more horrific and awful than trench warfare. Yeah. Well, the shotgun invented for that specific, well, not for that specific purpose, but like utilized. Yeah. In that just horrible. Right. Well, and you think about it, 15 million Germans die. Yeah. And then your country gets 
fucking like bent over the barrel. They get hammered. Like Germany, Ger- Germany gets basically blamed for the war. Right. Uh, you know, so they like the the Treaty of Versailles was very um, it was brutal. Yeah, I mean, it basically just said like Germany is responsible for this war. Like Germany made all these deals that caused the war to end up like this. It's Germany's fault. Germany is the instigator of this whole thing. So Germany has to pay the price for this, and so obviously that's. Yeah. And it all worked out in the end. Yeah, it all worked out in the end. <laughs> I mean, you know. Nothing I, bad came of that treaty, and the German people eventually just recouped the losses. Yeah, they, and everything, everything okay. worked out. There was something in between there, yeah, though, wasn't there? I can't really put my yeah, I don't remember. But, but thankfully, if anything did happen between that, they definitely learned their lesson the second time around. Something that this did get me thinking about, though, is speaking of the World Wars. This mur- These murders happened in 1922, and... They weren't even like concluded. They were still doing in interrogations as part of the investigation up into the 80s. Holy fuck. And you see there are like new suspects coming into the fold in the 70s and stuff like that. 1950s. Like when you really think about it, imagine being a German organization like a police force trying to keep records on something that happened in the 1920s. Like, it must be just about impossible because, like, Germany was hammered yeah. by Allied bombing runs right. during World War II. Right. Like, if anything, probably more devastation than in World War One. <laughs> like, if you've ever seen pictures of, I know this is not Bavaria, but if you've ever seen pictures of Berlin. Right. At the fall of the, at the end of the war. It's just it's rubble. rubble. Everything is rubble. That's I think we forget about that. The like, Soviets just yeah. shelled the fuck out of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Americans dropped bombs on literally like everything they could find. Yeah. Which is something we love to do. <laughs> we can't get enough dropping bombs on just everything. Yeah. If you fucking mess with us, yeah. we will drop bombs on everything on you and everything around you. <laughs> yeah. We don't fucking care. I think I, too, I mean that's 100% lost on me. Because that's not our experiences. We didn't have, yeah. we've never really had a major war like that on our own shores. Yeah. Besides Civil War, which is so old that you have to go to like Gettysburg even to, even to feel it. And it doesn't, it's not the same. It's like entire cities were leveled. There's, yeah. there's little mines in the ground that you could still find. Yeah. <laughs> you could still set them off. Yeah. They're still in France. Like um, that's fucking insane. And when you think about it, like the Civil War, there's all these stories, you know, of, of, you know, the battles were publicized, sure, sure. people setting up picnics on the hills where there was going to be a battle because it was just that you didn't have that expectation that there was going to be civilian right. engagement. And then World War Two, by that time, like any semblance of separation of right. the war is completely gone. It's right. like war affects all civilians. Right, right, right. Uh, now. So it must be like really challenging to dig up some of this. Right. Stuff. I and mean, yeah, you could see like all that evidence just gone Completely. things just gone yeah. records lost and it's not that they didn't try it's no. just that the building gets blown to fucking smithereens like right. that's what just do? what happens so there's a lot of complicating factors in this case crazy fucking story man um are you uh what yeah go ahead well i was you're gonna ask me a question i was gonna say um yeah we've talked a lot are you ready to kind of get into the verdict we should get into the verdicts because we've been going on for a long time and we could yeah. probably go on for a lot longer we'll just but sit here and i don't know talking how talking about world war one for like one for, eight hours yeah i don't know that that's so helpful <laughs> In this case, um, would you like to go first? Sure. I'm going to go. Happen again, Andy. 
you really have some kind of <laughs> hidden power. I don't know what it is. That through I don't your know where little, this is going to go. Through your, you're like a little spider. Oh, geez. Coming down the web. Yeah. I always come on webs. You do come on webs. And and you, you've you spun a little tail. You've you've spinned a little, 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 little thread from your anus. Yeah. And you, you're, you're like Charlotte's web. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm Wilbur. And then it's like, you've, you've spun a little story. And I don't know. I'm feeling somewhat... Much like when we did Zodiac Killer, I just think that, yeah, maybe this is this Mueller guy. Wow. And I'm going to go, maybe it's, I'm going to go plausible plus on Mueller. Wow. I think he fits the bill. Plausible plus He's even, the huh? only one out of the whole crew who's done it before yeah. in the same manner. Hmm. He's a German immigrant. Yeah. And yeah, he's like a war veteran. So he's, you know, he's got some of that, like, I don't know, disassociation, right? So, uh, and, and, you know, the death and tragedy of war has haunted him. So I could see the only thing is just, there's no evidence of him being there. There's no motive for him to go there. Why was he in Bavaria? Who knows? Um, but it would make sense that a German immigrant who is on the run from being found out for murder in America would land somewhere in Germany, Germany, very poor country, not doing so hot, probably not a little work for him. And he just sort of ends up at the farm. And that's why he would live there for a little while. I do also think, I mean, case confirmed that the killer was living there for a while, which yeah. is fucking terrifying. Absolutely yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Horrible thing. Yeah. Uh, I do think that they were living there. So I guess, would that make sense that Mueller was living in the attic? And then he just sort of was like, I can't, like, I don't know. And he just decided one day I'm going to kill them. And that's, they continued to live there. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does seem like I get that impression too that whoever committed these crimes was living in the house for a while. Like obtained a key and lived in the house for a while. Yeah. Um and and was part of the reason that Christian's Rieger left is that they were living up there making noises, moving around whatever. And maybe they had some sort of like secret passage almost or like a way to hide. Who knows. The attic's very open so it's not easy to hide in it. So that's kind of an open question is if they're hearing noises and they go up to the attic and there's nobody there, what could it be then? Um, but it could have been somebody inside the walls too. That's my verdict. Well, it's a good verdict. Um, I got to give a more complicated verdict personally. Go ahead. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go plausible plus as well on a suspect. But I'm going on plausible plus on um, Bartle. Bartle. There's just something about it. It's got me hooked. Yeah, it's a good one too. That's. I just feel like there's something about that story. The fact that he, I like, go plausible on him. Like basically mentioned Hinterkaifeck. Right. Um, named it specifically. No, he didn't. He's not the one that named it specifically. Well, the area. Yeah. The, he, said, like, well, he said, I'm going to Weidhofen. Yeah. Like he was known to be in the area at the time of the murders. Right. He would have been a person who needed a place to stay. Right. Uh, and also would have had seemingly the capability uh, of, of doing that. So I don't know. To me, it seems like that could be a person. Uh, that's somebody that I suspect. Um, and I'm giving plausible rating to both the some combination of the Beekler brothers, the taller brothers and Georg Siegel. 
No, no gumps. No gumps. I wish <laughs> I could say Adolf gumped it, but I don't. I can't. Um, the reason I'm saying them is that there's some fucked up shit going on there with these brothers shit. coming to fucking Christians Rieger's window, yeah. and trying to talk to her, and Georg Siegel finding the Maddock. That's the the linchpin of the whole thing, right? It's possible then, given the injuries that all three that three people could have been involved in this, and then I think it makes some of the other stuff make more sense like how did they lure them away there's somebody to create a diversion somebody to like be in the barn other people to do stuff the living there though doesn't make sense to me no yeah because they would have been local so they wouldn't have needed to live there right uh and again sort of like lauren schlittenbauer their absences would have undoubtedly been noticed by people in the community if they were just hanging around all the time at hinterkaifeck right in the attic so those are my verdicts um fair enough beefers you got to let us know what you think about this. Uh, Timid, thanks for this topic. This was a great one. Yeah. Um, really confusing, really hard to sort through. Um, personally, my own feelings about it. I mean, not the information on the case, but my own feelings about it. No, but, I mean, I think it's it's hard to, yeah, even the information on the case is hard to sort through. But a great topic. So thank you, Timid, for that. Thank you, Angela Merkel, for <laughs> suggesting this. Thank to you, Bunker. Angela Merkel. Um, but... Blimpers, beefers, I want you to let us know what you think about this. Uh, get at us, Twitter, or Instagram, at Mr. Bunker Pod. Use the hashtag. Um, God, there's so many fucking names in this one. Um, use the hashtag. Cheese sauce. <laughs> Use the, hashtag cheese sauce. Use the hashtag cheese sauce. Let us know what you think. Who yeah. done it? Who did it? Who could have done it? Who are your favorite suspects? Who are your least favorite suspects? We want to know all about it. Um, Give so, us the deets. Tweet at us. Instagram DM us at Mr. Bunker Pod. You can email us, Mr. Bunker Pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also, uh, for only a buck a month, you could be, join the Discord and let us know in there. Um, if you have the means to do so and you feel so inclined, visit patreon.com forward slash. Mr. Bunker Pod, uh, for one buck a month, you get access to the Discord. For five bucks a month, you get access to hundreds of hours of bonus behind-the-scenes content only available to our Patreon subscribers. You get access to yeah. video game live streams that right. uh, Art has been doing lately, Right, um, playing Cult of the Lamb recently. Yeah, we might play some scary games in October. Ooh, creepy. Hey, hey. Glad, that you, glad that you brought that up because I was going to mention this and I didn't. Oh, Hinter Kaifek, I think we talked about this last Halloween time on the Patreon. Hinter Kaifek in, inspired an SCP. Oh. Which is like a creepy pasta type yeah. of a creature. So there are these things called Weissnacht events, uh, and there's a, an SCP that comes and either murders your whole family or gives you presents oh. of like made from human flesh. Oh. Um, so that's inspired by Hinter Kaifek. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it does. This really feels like a fucking horror movie. It does. It really fucking does. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in all that Patreon only content, visit patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker pod. Um, art, is there anything else you want to say? Um, any parting shots? You know, bug fuckers. Um, you know, be careful what farms you you go to. I'll just say that. You know, if you're going to a farm this fall to go pumpkin picking, going to a farm 
in the fall to do some apple picking or maybe late summer. Just be careful what farms you go to. You know, check them out. Check the barns out. Just, you know, be careful. Be vigilant. And you know what? Even though, yes, this is a horrible murder, uh, enjoy a, a nice soft pretzel from time to time. Yeah. Go to yeah. a farm. Enjoy a pretzel. Yeah. Don't let it, don't well let it destroy your enjoyment of pretzels. Right. Pretzels are awesome. There you go. There you go. Well said, Art. So that's our show for today, Blimpers. Thanks for joining us for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my... I forgot which word I picked. For my... I mean, it comes out the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> for my prickly <laughs> co-host Art, I'm Andy saying that was the whole enchilada. You can have pork schnitzel, you can have uh, chicken schnitzel, you can have spatzel, you can have shrimp, you can boil shrimp, you can fry shrimp, you can, um, you can, you can, you can put shrimp in a gumbo, you can do shrimp salad, you can do a shrimp cocktail, you can, you can fry shrimp. Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.